and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. We set up the Riff Raff to champion the work of debut authors and to provide guidance and support for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. This week we're chatting to Rhiannon Styles, author of the recently released memoir, The New Girl, A Trans Girl Tells It Like It Is. Rhiannon has beamed in from a utility room in Edinburgh where she's currently performing in The Fringe. We chat about the pressures of being a figurehead of the trans community and the importance of laying yourself bare in order to tell the story that needs to be told. So, um, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to chat about about your book. Can you um, can you tell everyone, everyone who's listening a little bit about what your book's about and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. My book is called The New Girl, A Trans Girl Tells It Like It Is. It's a memoir and it basically chronicles the last five years of my life since I began transitioning from my previous identity of Ryan to Rhiannon. And it came about because I write a column for Elle magazine, also called The New Girl, and as a result of those columns, I was contacted by my publisher's headline, and they wanted to know if I would like to uh, sort of put the columns together and also tell much more of my story and go into details. Um, so, I, yeah, it was something that I really wanted to do, so I snapped at the chance. Absolutely. Yeah. An important story to be told as well. Yes, absolutely. I think you know we're much we're becoming much more aware of transgender issues in the media now, and transgender visibility is obviously uh, much people are much more aware of it than they used to be. So I think now is the right time for me to kind of put my story out in the world. Absolutely. And and do you do you feel under any sort of pressure? Obviously, you know you're an L columnist. You're now an author. Um, yeah. Do you feel do you feel the sort of pressure of of being a bit of a figurehead for the trans community? I don't feel the pressure, but I'm I'm conscious of that. And actually, when I'm writing my L columns, I I'm much at the beginning. I I didn't I didn't worry about that too much because it was so new. But now, nearly two years later, I'm I'm much more conscious of of what my words mean because I've had quite a lot of feedback from people on social media like Twitter and Facebook, and a lot of younger people reaching out to me. Actually, sorry, not just younger, lots of people of all ages reaching out to me and saying how bad that my the, the my journey in the media has been that to help them so um you know in that respect I do have I do have people uh looking towards me yeah absolutely that must feel really lovely to know that you can help people like give them the help that perhaps you didn't have exactly in the 90s when I was growing up there was nobody really in the mainstream media who was transgender and if they were they weren't showcased in a positive light. So I'm really grateful that nowadays people have that role model. Absolutely. What about yourself? Do you have anyone that you particularly sort of look up to or has really helped you along your way? Yeah, loads of my, um, loads of people in my life are transgender. And when I first came to the realisation that was something that I needed to do, I went to see a lot of my friends. And there's a cabaret performer called Miss Kimberly, a dancer called Lucy Fizz. And then I suppose people I didn't know, like the author Kate Bornstein, who is a is an American trans woman, uh, American trans person, I should say. Um, yeah, and I read I read their books, and they were really helpful. That's really really great. Um, what was the scariest thing about writing your book? 
The scariest thing about writing The New Girl would be how vulnerable I had to make myself because I knew that there were certain parts of my story which really needed to be told. And to tell those stories, I really had to put myself on the line, if you know what I mean. I really had to had to lay myself bare and find the confidence to do that. And that, that was pretty scary at times. I mean, you have obviously been really super honest and, like, that's such a massive part of the battle with writing a memoir is kind of, like having to be, having to sort of even say the things that perhaps you wanted to kind of keep to yourself? Like, you know, that sort of, was that kind of your experiences? Was there anything that you wanted to kind of keep for yourself? Or did you just think, right, this has to be, you know, everything out on the table? Yeah, I mean, I didn't didn't tell everything. You know, a girl needs some secrets and mystique. But (laughs) I just told the bits that were relevant. And also, there's lots of trans-related literature out there. But at the same time, some of those existing books didn't tackle some things which I would have found, which I wanted to know about from other trans people. So I I talked a lot about those sorts of things, which I thought were missing from other publications. Yeah. And what about highlights? Was there anything that you really enjoyed writing about? Well, I really enjoyed writing about the present day, actually, because and I found that the most easiest to write about. And I really... You know, it was just nice to contextualise everything that's happened over the last five years um, and sort of talk about where I am today in comparison to, to where I was. And at first I, I thought that uh, I thought that kind of going back over memories about childhood and being a teenager would be the happiest. But they weren't actually. They were really hard to, were really hard to kind of put that in my head um, and to, to memory, to, to find all those memories once again. So... I found, you know, talking about what I've done in the past six months really great. Did you find it quite a kind of therapeutic process as well? Like, I've written a memoir and I kind of had quite a lot of, like, realisations while writing it that perhaps I hadn't had when I hadn't addressed what, like, you know, kind of over the course of the process, I learned a lot about myself during the writing. Did you find the same thing? I don't know if I found it cathartic. Um... I mean, when you see your life and put on paper in black and white and you read it, you certainly have moments of like, oh, my God. And I was a bit like, oh, my God, I'm glad I'm not that person anymore. Because <laughs> I was just like, I'm glad I've moved through that phase of my life. So in many ways, it helped me be more comfortable with who I am today because I was like, wow, I'm glad I'm not carrying that weight anymore of that person who I used to be. And I could see things like that. And I think I was more grateful for getting, I was more grateful for myself and had much more self-respect than previously because I was like oh my god you've worked through this and you've done this and that's amazing that was the biggest discovery for me a great discovery yeah was there there any kind of like time constraints on getting the book out there because obviously it is such a timely issue was it were you kind of did you have the luxury of time to write it as it kind of came to you or were you did were you on kind of strict deadlines I was on really strict deadlines, yeah. I think I wrote the first draft in six months and and then, you know, it took a few months after that for us to keep going over the re-edits. Um, I found that helpful, though, actually, because I think if I'd had the luxury of time, I probably would have taken quite a lot of time. So having that deadline allowed me just to, you know, I had to get up and write every day, and that in itself was a great skill to, skill to learn and, and to work through. And also, it just meant that what I've written, what I wrote the book over last summer, what I wrote last summer, um, you know, is where I was at that moment. So I think that's a great document of time. Yeah. Did you go and shut yourself away somewhere and not talk to anyone for 
that that time or were you kind of still just you know in doing your own thing at the same time well actually I wrote the book in Berlin I went over to stay at a friend's house and they have this beautiful detached house on in the suburbs by the lakes um so it was really great actually because I I had a sort of schedule where I got up in the morning I wrote and then we went and swam at the lakes in the afternoon so it was really nice Oh, it sounds, really it sounds like heaven. It sounds idyllic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, would you do you have any sort of tips for people that are wanting to write a memoir about something that's as sensitive as this? You know, any kind of advice? I would say be as honest as you can be, but don't put anything in the book which is going to uh, which is going to expose you to anything that you're not comfortable with. I would say go with your heart, the one the, the, the stories that you feel are most valuable to your story, put them in. And I think don't think, think you have to kind of put everything in. That's what I did at the the beginning actually I over I overcomplicated the recipe and I think you know what I learned is that less is actually probably less is more in this instance because you really need to tell a really strong story which is really structured and um, that's the best way of putting your kind of life in a book I think. Yeah is there any parts of the book that are particularly special to you? Yeah actually there is one chapter called the b-side which um, I talk about my problems with um, substance abuse and that is really an important chapter because I could have easily overlooked that and and decided that uh, that I wanted to keep that to myself never actually talked about that in public before but it really is kind of the crux of the book to be honest because you go through my childhood and my teenage years and then coming to London and I'm so free and found myself and then I you have this one chapter which is kind of like how it all unfolds and unravels and you realise the subtext from all the stories I've been talking about before and then that le- then leads into the real beginning of the transcendence chapters so I'm really that's kind of a pivot in the book that I think is really important. I'm really glad that I found the courage to, to put that in. Was there ever a moment when you thought about not putting it in? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I thought a lot of times that it was possibly quite self-indulgent and unhelpful, really, to 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 the story of my transition. But actually, it isn't. It's kind of one of the main issues. And also, it's you know, sadly, something that a lot of LGBTQ people um, have dealt with. So I think that warrants it to be in the book. And I, so I sent that chapter to some friends to read it, and if they thought that I was potentially oversharing or that the details were too gritty, and they all said no, so I trusted them. That's good. It's it's a fine yeah. line, isn't it, between you know being really authentic and and you know trying to just protect yourself and yeah, not and not not oversharing too much. Mm-hmm. How, how's, how's it been yeah. since the book's been out there you know what's that been like you know having I mean it must have sparked so many conversations with not only friends and family but obviously a lot you know people obviously you said about the people approaching you through your column and through the book mm-hmm. it must have been an amazing experience to for it to be out there it's kind of strange actually that people um have got it in their hands and that they want to talk to me about it I'm still at a point of kind of not uh, sort of not kind of 
understanding that it's real in a sense. And so I've been kind of with friends, and they're like, "Oh, I've got your book in my bag," and it's great. And then, and then I have that. Next, the next thought is like, "Oh no, you know everything about me, <laughs> stuff that you may not have known before." So it's just sort of, I know, a little bit scary at times, but also at the same time really rewarding if it's people that I've never met before. Um, who, like I said, are dealing with similar issues around their gender identity and they're finding it really helpful and resourceful and that's what I wanted. Absolutely. And we've got the book with us here and I'm I'm looking at it now and the cover's beautiful. You're you're on it. You're very prominently on it. Um, What's that like to sort of, you know, have you ever seen someone reading it on the tube? What's it like to go into a bookshop and, and see your book with yourself on it? I haven't actually done that yet. You Um, have to. No, I mean, I haven't been in a bookshop and looked for it. Um, I'm in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival now, and I did make a byline into Waterstones yesterday, but I ran out of time to track it down, so I still haven't had that experience. But I feel, I think actually, when that happens, I will probably be like, oh yeah, you're, you're, you're an author now, it's there. I haven't had that yet, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, you are. We're looking right at it, and it looks great. I'm <laughs> reading it, and 100% it's fantastic. Vouch for it, yeah. <laughs> it exists. We can see it. Um, so one thing that I really liked about it, um, mm-hmm. I like how you include so many kind of, like, details that about um, music and about sort of fashion and um, sort of specific references that I think really as a reader like put you kind of in that scenario yourself so that you can kind of remember where you were when you were like watching going live or where you were when you were listening to the strokes and mm-hmm. stuff like that and like and I just wondered whether that's kind of like a specific tool that you use to kind of help people um kind of be in your shoes a little bit or to relate a bit more was that something that was kind of subconscious or it was very much conscious I think I'm always uh, in situations and environments and there's memories I look for I look for the things that people can relate to and I want to describe the whole scene so also I think I'm really interested in music and pop culture and fashion so if I can kind of it helps me to kind of uh, it helps me in the writing of that and sort of chronologically if I could if I could place all those memories at certain points in time that were easy easily referenced by other people too so and also I think it's a case of social documentary as well especially around the the music and the subcultures I like to be able to um to describe as a whole what was going on at the time to kind of take it take it away from just being a, uh, something which is about me and putting it into the, into the kind of cultural landscape at that moment. So that's why I do it. Yeah, yeah, and you've completely succeeded. Like, it's, it's mm, cool to you. kind of, like, sort of see where your life was, my life was in kind of progression with yours and to kind of, like, mm. see all the different things. Like, it's exciting as well to learn about that, kind of all the different scenes that you were involved in and, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. Great, thank you. And um, what are you up to at the, at the Fringe at the moment? Well, I'm at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'm in a show um, called Koniski's Incredible Bleeding Woman. We're at the Pleasance 2 at 2 p.m. every day. And it is a, um, it's a show about the magic of menstruation. Huh? <laughs> Excellent. Sounds great. Sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. We've been, there's a, it's, there is a, a cast of seven people. We're all women of, um, ident- we all identify as women, although I'm the only trans woman in the show. Um, and that's why I'm in the, sh- I'm not in the show because of that. I'm, what, 
I've been with this company now since 2008 doing a variety of big shows. But this show is interesting because as a company, we wanted to talk about what the director, Marissa Konesky, describes as, as the, the last taboo, and that's um, menstruation. And we wanted, we did a lot of, we've been working on this show since 2015. And we, we did, a, when we first started working, the workshop in the material, we did a lot of retreats together. Um, and we spent a lot of time kind of talking and making making performance rituals around menstruation. And that's where I come in because we wanted to explore menstruation as more than just a hygiene issue, more than just something which um, is about the womb. It's about the connection with the cycles of the planet and the tides and the moon. And it's about going back to, to nature, really. And it's set in a kind of context of a lecture and peppered throughout the lecture are, are the performative aspects which all the performers bring. Cool, that's great. I hope, that's, I hope that made sense. That did make sense. I'm, I'm, I was just saying to Rosie, I'm so gutted that I'm not there. I was up in Edinburgh last year, like only as a spectator, but like it was, um, yeah, it's what a great place to be. So good luck with everything. Well, yeah, what, um, with the book, what, so what would you like this book to achieve? And who do you hope, who do you hope finds it? I would like it to achieve sort of cult status but beyond that I would like it to just be accessible to as many people as possible and I think with something like this I mean of this genre I think it's going to be around for a long time so I don't think it's sort of going to be I think I think it's always going to be a a text that people can reference now and and hopefully generations in the future will be able to relate to it I hope that it's it sort of appears timeless in a way that it's very much of what's happened over the past few years in terms of trans identities, but also it's it, it goes beyond that. It's about the journey that we all go through in life, and I hope that people understand that in many ways everyone is transitioning all the time and that the only constant in life is change, and I think that's what this book demonstrates and is a great document about. Yeah, yeah totally agree. And, and would you like to continue writing? Is this the first book of many? I hope so. Um, I, yeah, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying not having the pressure of writing a book right now. But also, I really want to, to do some further books which go into, some, into topics in much more detail. Yeah, so I would really be excited about that. So what is what is kind of next for you? Like, is that is that what's next, or more performing, or what what's what can people look out for? I'm really enjoying um, performing, and I think once we finish the Edinburgh Fringe, we are going to take this show on tour at the start of 2018. I've also started writing for um, ID Magazine, and I'm doing uh, interviews with a lot of music-based artists, and I'm really enjoying that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes to. As, as a, out of interest, like, as a performer, you know, obviously yeah. you've been performing for years. Like, what, um, do, how, what, do you, what sort of things, qualities do you have as a performer that you think help your experience as a writer? Or do, are, there, are there any that kind of like make it more difficult? Or, well, I think as a performer, I'm, I'm much more aware. You know, when as performing, you get an instant reaction from the audience, which I love. Um, and you don't get that from writing straight away. That becomes much later. Um, but I think one skill that I've learned as a performer is patience and respect. And I think that I've had a lot of uh, a lot. I've been a lot more patient with myself as a writer. 
um, and I can see how much I've grown in, since I started writing um, and since my work has been published. So I think that skill is relatable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what, going into kind of the next books that you write, what kind of le lessons do you think you've learned writing this one that you will apply, you know? Being unstructured, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't that structured. Um, on like I know I say I went to out to the to the lakes and stuff, but there was a few days when I was just like, Oh, I've indulged at the lakes too much and I now I need to do an extra thousand words today. So yeah, I would structure my time differently. So you're not kind of like a I'm gonna write a thousand words every day or this is I'm gonna you know, write for this many hours, you're more of a kind of just wing it and see what magic happens. Well, sometimes I think that's the best way to be spontaneous because you might not be in, when you wake once awake and have my coffee, I might not really be that inspired to write. Some days you can just get into it and you're fine and you find the flow. But there are other days when you're just like, you know, I'm just knackered today or I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it or, you know, like, you know, my boyfriend's come to visit or whatever. So it's just like, you know, there's just certain things that aren't always as easy as that. So, and sometimes it's better to kind of, you know, have a coffee, go for a run, and you're really into it and start writing. So I think I'm much more go with the flow sometimes. Me, me and Amy have this constant debate because I'm a fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal, and Amy yeah. is a planner. And so <laughs> I'm much more on your vibe of just kind of like, oh, I'll kind of get up, I'll do some stuff, and then and then it'll come. And I then would, I'll, I, the, the planning element is more like what's going to go in where, not I'm going to structure my time. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. I'm pretty good at procrastination. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's quite nice looking back because I've got, I find, you know, tucked into like notebooks, I find lots of lists. Yeah. So I, you know, I can see the lists that I was working through last summer and that's quite nice to find. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you think that you're procrastinating, but you're creating the order in your mind necessary. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing in my head. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay. Rhiannon, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. We really appreciate it. That's an absolute pleasure. And thank you for asking oh, me. It's been really our, great. Our pleasure and all the best of luck with the show. It sounds like it's um sounds like it's gonna go down a storm. Yeah, thank I you. I hope so, thank you. Thank you for talking to us from your utility room in yeah. your flat. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a great little studio actually. I was gonna yeah. say, yeah. That sounds good. The Riff Raff Podcast is hosted by co-founders Amy Baker and Rosie Edwards. Come say hey at the-riffraff.com.